Today we're going to be looking at verse 11 of chapter 6 in Matthew, where Jesus teaches us to pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, up until this point, the Lord's Prayer focuses on God. But here, we notice a change. In the second half of the Lord's Prayer, the words change from your to us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done to give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. We move from praying about God to seeking God about our own needs. And here, what God is doing is God is demonstrating a formula for effective praying and daily living. And what he's in effect saying is that we need to focus on him first and then seek our needs. And this principle of God first is something we see used throughout the Bible to illustrate how we are to communicate with God, but also a principle for how we are to live our daily lives. In the Old Testament, God gave his people, the Israelites, a list of ten commandments, which were laws on how they were to live. And the very first commandment that God gave them was this. Put God first. You shall have no other God before me. And just like the Ten Commandments, we see also in the Lord's Prayer that the first half is about God and the second half is about us. So he starts off, you shall not make any idols. You shall honor the Sabbath. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And then he moves on. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not steal. The principle of God first, then us, is established right from the outset of the Bible. And then in the Psalms, David also writes, as he teaches us when we come before God, that we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. And David writes this because he knows that often when we come before God, we come with so much on our minds that actually we put our agenda first. But God wants him to be first. When we do that, what we are doing is reminding ourselves of who he is. And when we do, the perspective on our uh, problems change. And then we move to the New Testament. And Jesus, in his teaching, teaches the crowd. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So we see throughout the Bible, God establishes the principle of God first and then us. And so when Jesus teaches about the Lord's Prayer, he upholds what is an eternal principle. He wants to emphasize to us the importance of firstly establishing a relationship with God. Because the more clearly we see who God is, the more aligned our prayers are to his will. You see, the power of our prayers doesn't just lie in how long we pray or how loud we pray, but it comes down to our knowledge of who God is. And also when we ask, asking for our needs secondly or afterwards, 
does not make them any less important to God. God knows exactly what we need, but yet he still tells us to ask. And Jesus says over 20 times in the New Testament, ask. And he says, actually, just after this teaching on prayer that he does, in Matthew 7, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, I can relate to this because if either of our boys has needs as their father, I always want to meet it. And I know that the desire that is in me is nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to God's overwhelming desire to give us, his children, what we need. And late in the Bible, James says, you know, the reason we don't ask is because we don't ask. But Jesus also says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And that's the promise. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God is waiting to meet our needs, and all we need to do is to ask. And in the structure of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus also teaches us to ask for daily bread. Now, at its basic, bread is a staple and universal food. Almost every culture eats bread in one form or the other. But also, the word bread is something that is known as isunegdeki which basically means that it is a word that expresses more than it actually means. So we would say that this is my bread and butter when we refer to something that is our main source of income. Or we say that I am or they are the breadwinner as the main source of provision in a home. And for us today, food is a big deal. You know, we spend a lot of money on food. The average UK household spends well over 500 pounds a week just on household foods. A lot of our time goes into it, and we give it a lot of our attention. You know, many of our celebrations involve food. We socialize around it. And what is amazing is that people are prepared to spend a fortune on food. So I asked my good friend Google about places to eat. And in my research, I found out that the most expensive restaurant in the world charges just under £2,000 per head per meal. And what is equally bizarre is that when we are not eating food or preparing food, we spend our time watching people making food. (laughs) And so last year in October... Many of you would have seen the final of the Great British Bake Off. 14 million people, that is just under a quarter of the UK population, sat down before their screens and watched people bake. Now, look, I am guilty. I do love my food, and whenever I hear that my mom is coming from Ghana to come and visit us, 
I start preparing. I send my list in advance of where she comes of all the food that I would like to eat. I empty out the freezer to create space for the food. I rush down to Lewisham to buy plastic Tupperware just to house the food. And the last time she came, we actually didn't have enough freezer at home that I had to put food in other people's houses' freezer. I guess you could say that we have a mild obsession with food. Um, many of us would struggle to go a day without food, and even if we did, I'm pretty sure that we would not enjoy it. So I guess this is why the analogy that Jesus uses here is so timeless. Because he knows that in every culture and season, our lives will revolve around food. And so it was to the original hearers of this message who were gathered around Jesus as he shared. You see, bread was the main food for the Jews at that time. In a typical meal, all the other foods around the table were simply supplement to the bread. Bread was also a social bread, a social bond. The breaking and eating and giving of bread was a vital part of hospitality and building community. You know, the Jews used to use bread in their religious celebrations and in giving thanks. So as the main ingredient for life, bread represented everything that they would need. And by using bread in the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus is in effect saying is this. We should ask our Father for whatever it is that we need that is a necessity in our lives each day. Both the physical, both the natural and also the spiritual needs. And you know, there's a really wonderful note to this prayer that demonstrates the heart of God to us. God is just as interested in the natural and earthly stuff as much as he is the spiritual stuff. Your children, your family, your marriage, your relationship, your food, your work, your health. If that's what comes to your mind when you wake up each morning, if that is what you would describe as my daily bread, God is interested in it. And to the people of the time also, as Jesus shared this, their minds would have gone back to generations and generations ago when their ancestors found themselves in the desert and God provided for them bread each day after he delivered them from Egypt. And in the story, it goes like this. So the Israelites find themselves in slavery for 400 years under the Egyptians. So they cry out to God. They say, God, save us. God, deliver us. And so then God sends Moses to deliver them from slavery. And he tells them, I am going to free you from your oppressors, and I'm going to take you into your own land where you will have all that you need and more. I, the Lord your God, will do this for you. So God, true to his word, miraculously delivers the Israelites from Egypt. They pass through the Red Sea, and they arrive on the other side. And as they do, the Israelites are so overjoyed that they erupt in songs of thanksgiving and praise. They say this, Lord, in your unfailing love, 
you lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So, so far, we could say that the Israelites have got off to a great start. They have seen God do something miraculous and wonderful, and their immediate response is to thank him for what he has done, but also to set their mind and their trust in him for what is going ahead. But after only three days into a journey that was to last them 14,600 days, they encountered their first challenge. After wandering through the desert, they ran out of water. They arrive at a place and they try and drink the water and the water is bitter. So they say to God, God, we can't drink this water. If we drink this water, we are going to get sick. So God, as he does, in his grace, in his love, hears them and he turns the water to sweet water that they can actually drink. And then in doing so, he takes them on a 40-year journey through the desert to teach them that he is God, their provider. So after that incident, they then set out. And a month later, they arrive at a place called Sin Desert. And let's pick this up here in Exodus 16 from verse 2 to 5. And the verse will come up just behind me. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There... We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, They are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So, by the time they arrive at this place, they have another problem. As I said, it isn't water. This time, it is food. They are starving. They've been walking for weeks on end, haven't found any food, and they get to this place. And rather than come to God and ask, which is what God is trying to teach them, they grumble. They complain to God. They began to wish that God had left them in Egypt to, to a die. And they, they actually reason like this. They say, Lord, you know, although we were under slavery, although we were beaten, although we had to work hard, at least, at least we had some food to eat. In their anger, they felt like God had got it all wrong, that God had actually calculated wrong, and they were better where they were than where God had brought them. Now, in reading this, I can empathize with the Israelites, and perhaps you can too. See, when we are hungry, we can get grumpy. We can get a little bit prickly. We can act irrationally, and we act on our impulse. Now, if you've ever been to the supermarket to do your weekly shop on an empty stomach, you know exactly what I mean. You walk out of the supermarket with bags and more food than what you plan to go in, because throughout that time, you had acted in your impulse rather than following the list that you have. But the Israelites' issue of grumbling and complaining wasn't just about hunger. It wasn't just about thirst. It wasn't just about tiredness. 
It was deeper than that. The Israelites found themselves in a situation that the Bible often metaphorically refers to as a valley. So God had promised to deliver them from their time in slavery and bring them into a land where he will provide all their needs. He delivers them in spectacular fireworks, fashion as they cross the Red Sea. But a month in, they encounter problem after problem after problem. See, being in the valley is that middle point in life between the excitement of when God speaks to us and that end point of waiting for God to fulfill his word. We've all been through those times, and I'm sure there are people in here who would describe their situation right now as being in a valley. And in those moments, the typical things and thoughts that can come to our mind is we say, Lord, you spoke to us. You spoke to our family and asked us to move to this place. But since we've arrived, we feel lonely. Our family hasn't settled. We were better off where we were before. Or we say to ourselves, Lord, you told us to start this group. You told me to start this business. You told me to initiate this project. But no one seems to be turning up. It doesn't seem to be bearing fruit. I would have been better doing what I was doing before. In those tough moments, we remember why Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Because he will give us what we need for each day. The Israelites' issue was a question of dependency. And when we find ourselves in a valley and waiting for God, it causes us, it really does drive us to ask ourselves the question, who are we relying on each day to provide what we need? And for the Israelites, it wasn't God. So God wanted to bring them to a place of humility and dependency where they would remember that it was him who heard their prayers. It was him who came to them. It was him who answered them. And it was him who took them out of their misery into a land where he would provide for them. And that is one of a number of reasons why when we read that particular passage, we see that God took them through the desert for 40 years rather than take them the short route. And so whatever our need is today, God is saying to us, I will take care of that need if you depend on me. To depend on God means to start seeing him as the source of all that we have. And saying to God, God, we are dependent on you for every good gift. Not the economy, not the government, not my job, not even my talents, but you. Because asking is an expression of dependency and humility. God is greater than us. And by asking him, we show that we believe that he can meet our needs. And so as, a, as the story continues, and as we read, God once again, time again, comes to the Israelites in his grace. He provides for them. And so for 14,560 days, without fail, every single day, God rains down bread from heaven, except the Sabbath day. So God tells them, each morning when I rain down bread, I want you to take what you need. Now, some took more, some took less, depending on their family. But the Bible says that each day, 
everyone was satisfied. The only day that they were not to go out and collect because God would not rain down the bread was the day before the Sabbath where they were not to work. However, not everyone listened. So, so, so then some would hoard food for not just today, but also tomorrow. And when they did, they found out that the bread had turned into worms and the bread stank. God told the Israelites to depend on him every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And in the original text of this verse, the position of the word today at the end of the Greek sentence emphasizes that it is the present day. It is today. It is the now that was the center of attention. Jesus does not want us worrying about tomorrow. And he says this so plainly in Matthew 6.34 when he says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Jesus here is not advocating irresponsible living or reckless management when he provides for us. And in fact, in the passage, he rebukes the Pharisees for not planning and taking care of their own. Jesus is teaching here against worrying and being anxious. And the frustrating thing in life is that worrying actually doesn't change the situation. And yet life throws us so many challenges that cause us to worry. It certainly isn't easy. But the best way, the God-prescribed way for us to avoid anxiety is to focus on today and leave God to worry about tomorrow. God wants us to live a life that takes one day at a time. In the same way as he provided for the Israelites daily, enough for today, he was teaching his disciples that they are to rely on him from, for their needs. Because as we do, it helps develop a continuing and conscious dependency on him. In Proverbs 30, the writer of that proverb Right, just as he reflects on life and he reflects on all the things that he has seen and all that he has goes through. He reflects and he comes to this thought. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And what the writer is saying is here is that there is, you know, there is a relationship between the natural and the spiritual. Our natural needs can at times influence our relationship with God. And so we see with Jesus, after Jesus being in the desert for 40 days and fasting, the devil tried to take advantage of Jesus' natural need for food and comes to him and tempts him. And challenges him to turn stone into bread. Now Jesus could have followed that to meet his natural need. But Jesus responds in a way that sets an example for us by saying that man shall not live by bread alone. But on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And this is exactly the same lesson that God taught the Israelites. And Jesus quotes exactly that same chunk of passage. You see, Deuteronomy 8 says that God humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The natural things, the things that we need in life will only sustain us for so long. But the strength, the deep strength to make it through each day comes from a life that is built on the word of God. And Jesus wants us to adopt that position of humility and come before him, our Father, each day to ask for our daily needs, both physical and spiritual. Because, you know, the believer who knows that God is the one who sustains them and who has the word of God deep within them is the one who is able to stand when challenges come. And they are the ones who can say, as Paul so eloquently put it in Corinthians, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. When we know that God is the one who sustains us, we can confidently say this passage. And even if you read this and you think, actually, I can't say this about ourselves. As a believer in Jesus, this is about you. When we are pressured in life, how we respond and whether we make it through is often down to realizing who we are relying on. Because so often we put the weight of life's problems and life's needs on our shoulders and God wants you to put it on him. We forget to pray like Jesus did. But when we pray, prayer connects us, connects us to the source and enables God's provision to just flow through us. So that, as Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The heart of this prayer is God's desire is for us to be totally and utterly dependent on him. And he gave us someone to depend on daily. Jesus, his son. Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. All we need for nourishment in life is found in Jesus. And before his death, Jesus told the disciples to take the bread and to take the wine and do this act in remembrance of him. He told them, feast on me, feast on my body. Now, there are so many things that Jesus could have emphasized in this moment on his last time with his, with his disciples but remembering who he was, depending on him, and being sustained by him. Just as Jesus has said in the first commandment was the last thing that he left them with. And this is still important today. So as we enter into a time of breaking bread, I want us to do so, and as we take the bread, we do so remembering that life Nourishment of life, sustenance of life comes from living a life that is wholeheartedly dependent on Jesus. But I also want us to remember others who might be in need. See, this prayer is not just for us, but also for others. 
Jesus taught us to pray, give us, give us this day our daily bread. So as we take the bread, let our minds also go to others whom we know might be in need and pray for them. You might want to link up with a person next to you or go to someone else across the floor. But let us take this meal thinking not just about what we need and relying on God, but also taking a moment just to think about others. Now, if you're here and you are visiting, the taking bread and drinking wine is something that we do regularly. It is a meal that is for believers. And you might be here and you have never reached the point in your life where you have said to Jesus, Jesus, I submit to you. I make you Lord of my life. You, you may still have questions and you are still searching. If you're at that place, can I just politely and kindly ask you to just let the bread and the wine just pass you by? You can talk to any of us either at the end or during and we'll be more than happy to answer, to answer any questions you have. But if you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus, can I ask you now, if you sat at the end of the rope, please stand. There are juice and bread in the corners and at the back. Please take enough for yourselves and also for others in the row. Spend time with God and we'll come back and we'll flow back into worship.